Hi, I'm Chrissy. I'm Joss. And you're listening to Breaking the Curtain, the podcast where we interview our theater idols and chat all about the history behind your favorite musicals. So sit back, relax, and and enjoy enjoy the episode. episode. Hello, my beautiful chickens. Happy Valentine's Day and welcome to our first show history episode of season four. And because of the day we are recording this on, happy Super Bowl Sunday to all of you who celebrate. Not us, though. Definitely not. Couldn't be us. (laughs) Because we are here with all of you today to talk about the theater. You know, a very special musical once taught me the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. And that musical was Moulin Rouge. Exclamation point. (laughs) This is also our 100th episode, exclamation point. I know we say this often, but honestly, we never believed that our pandemic project would reach 100 episodes and nearly 30,000 downloads. I mean, I guess if there's anything to take away from this, it would be that you absolutely can, can, can do anything that you set out to do. And we can, can, cannot wait to deep dive into the history of this show. So let's just go for it. Take it away, Jaws. Break down the plot of Moulin Rouge. I first have to tell you all that um, I took the term lovesick very seriously for this episode and just have a bit of a cold. So if I sound a bit hoarse throughout this episode, you know the reason why. We're calling it a character choice. Moulin Rouge is set in the Montmartre Quarter of Paris, France during the Belle Epoque and turn of the 20th century. The musical tells the story of Christian, a young composer who falls in love with cabaret actress Satine, who is the star of the Moulin Rouge. However, Satine has been promised by the manager to the Duke in return for funding his next production. As the young lovers meet in secret, Satine's wedding day draws closer, and she hides a fatal secret from both Christian and the Duke. Ooh, yeah. Spicy. It's very spicy. I'm seeing rouge here. Before we get into the film and stage adaptation, here's a little history about the real Moulin Rouge. The Moulin Rouge was founded in 1889 by Joseph Aller and Charles Zidler. The founders created a place dedicated to entertainment for a diverse public located in Paris's 18th district. Cabaret quickly acquired a solid reputation around the globe. The Moulin Rouge would throw lavish, champagne-filled parties. It was also during this time that the world-famous quartet known as the French Can-Can was born. The Moulin Rouge served drinks during shows, spectators sometimes dancing themselves on the dance floor that was installed to admire the performers up close. With an unconventional architectural style and extravagant decoration, including an elephant, the Moulin Rouge was so much more than just a venue attracting clients who simply wanted to have fun. Wow, so there was really an elephant there? Yep. Do you think the elephant took requests for putting together a love song medley? Chrissy, stop it. You know we shouldn't talk about the elephant in the room. In the late 90s, Baz Luhrmann had decided that his next and final Red Curtain film would be addressing musical cinema. Within the trilogy of Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet, and Moulin Rouge, Luhrmann bridged the gap between the cinematic and theatrical experiences by dedicating each film to a particular tradition of live theater. Although the films do not form a trilogy in the traditional sense, as there is no ties between the plot and characters of the three films, the three films follow a specific style of filmmaking with dance used in the first film, poetry and language in the second, and song used in the third. Once the initial idea to use the Moulin Rouge as inspiration came about, 
Lerman, along with co-writer Craig Pierce and production designer Catherine Martin, traveled to Paris to work on writing a synopsis and conduct historical research of end of 20th century Montmartre. Close enough. Yeah, go with that. We need to stop doing musicals based in France. (laughs) They came to understand the possibilities of a club that placed the aristocrats and rich alongside workers, artists, bohemians, can-can girls, and working girls. The team took inspiration from Camille, La Boheme, and the Greek tragedy of Orpheus and Eurydice. Hello, Hades Town. Production began in November 1999 with a budget of $50 million. It was shot on the sound stages at Fox Studios in Australia, Madrid, and Sydney, wrapping in May 2000. It starred Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor as lead Satine and Christian. The film was released in cinemas on June 1st, 2001 and received generally positive reviews, and in the years since has become a cult classic. So I'm sure it's going to come at no surprise that a stage adaptation of Moulin Rouge was long in the works before its world premiere in Boston. In 2002, a year following the film's release, Lerman confirmed that he was working on the stage production, which was to be a Paris-set show and take place in a casino. However, he was unsure at the time if he would be the one to direct the stage adaptation. Of course, at the time, he already had a production company, which was already working on the development process of adapting a stage production of his 1992 beloved film, Strictly Ballroom. During this time, Baz Luhrmann directed the Lab OM Broadway revival, which we know Moulin Rouge was heavily influenced by. Two Vegas casinos began bidding for the concept of a Moulin Rouge theatrical show, with a theater to be built and the club as well, creating an immersive world. Unfortunately, this concept never came to life, at least not in Las Vegas. In 2008, a stage adaptation entitled La Belle Bizarre du Moulin Rouge toured around Germany and even released a cast recording. An entertainment company named For the Record set out with the concept of turning the soundtracks of iconic films into thrilling, immersive theatrical experiences. Thus, FTR, Baz Luhrmann was born, with performances in Los Angeles. It featured music from Luhrmann's red carpet trilogy of films, Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet, and Moulin Rouge. A lot of well-known Broadway performers actually starred in the Baz-themed performances, including Tracy Toms, Jessica Keenan-Wynn, Kate Renders, and Derek Klenna. Foreshadowing! (laughs) In 2016, it was confirmed that a stage adaptation was in the works, and the following year, a developmental lab of Moulin Rouge was announced later being followed by the casting announcement of Aaron Tavit and Tavit. Who the fuck is that? I can't get my future last name wrong. (laughs) Aaron Tavate and Tony winner Karen Olivo, with Tavate taking on the role of Christian and Olivo as Satine. Not long following the lab, Moulin Rouge announced its world premiere would be held at the Boston Eberson Colonial Theater from June 27, 2018 to August 19, 2018. Tragically, the opening of the show was pushed until July 10th, when a construction incident occurred overnight involving a steel grid above the stage. Thankfully, nobody was injured and no damage to the set occurred. I remember this happening because it made me wonder just how huge this set was going to be that it literally just like collapsed. And uh, I was really disappointed because I wanted to see Moulin Rouge at the same time that I was traveling to Boston to see the out of town run of Jagged Little Pill. But the dates no longer matched up for me to do that. Um, Also, like the ticket prices for Moulin Rouge during its tryout were like it was so expensive. 
Also, okay, so I have a question for you that maybe you have an answer to. Okay. I kind of assume it has to do with like safety measures and making sure everything works well. But why do some shows have a tryout run and others do not? Because something with such commercial success like Moulin Rouge having a tryout run doesn't make a lot of sense to me because you already know it's going to be huge on Broadway. Why is that? Do you know? Like, is there a proper answer to this? I can't speak to why some shows do and some shows don't. But mm-hmm. I think when it comes to Moulin Rouge, A, there's so much technical stuff going on. Right. But I think if they were to go from like being in a rehearsal room with a set concept straight into a Broadway theater, mm-hmm. they would have hit a lot of bumps just with what was overpowering in a bad way, what didn't work, what did work. Right. I think that was something they genuinely needed to build an experience to scale in order for it to have the effect that it did. Um, But I also think as much as Moulin Rouge is like a cult classic, you know, it's a cult classic and people love it. So people might be a little tentative about going to see it. I know I was Mm -hmm. when I first heard about the show. I was like, why would you mess with perfection? And, you know, people might have that vibe. So an out-of-town tryout kind of like tests your foot in the water. Mm. And I think the last piece for it Because Moulin Rouge is a jukebox musical and it's so aware of itself and it has fourth wall breaks, so much of it is funny because of the interactions with the audience. And I think having just a cold open on Broadway with a Broadway audience without ever having Mm. timed or felt out how things were going to fall would have been a disservice not just to the actors but to everybody running like the tech stuff right Mm. like yeah 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 the show has so many cues and the timing of it is so essential that to kind of go to a cold open without having any sort of tryout previously I think it would have been a shot in the foot for everyone involved yeah that makes sense for sure thank you (laughs) um although I do think once they put out that video of Aaron singing uh come what may that little promo bit that they had of him walking around the theater like a music video style. Everyone was sold. Everyone was ready. <laughs> you know what? Aaron Tveit could sell me 20 t-shirts that I already had the exact same t-shirt of. You know what? That made absolutely no sense, buddy, but yet it did make perfect sense. And I have to agree with you. Yeah, I would buy yeah. anything from him. That man could sell sand in the desert. And we would all need water afterwards. Now, now. Let's keep it PG. <laughs> so rounding out the leading roles were Danny Burstein as Harold, Tam Mutu as the Duke, Robin Herder as Nini, and Ricky Rojas as Santiago. The production also featured choreo by Sonia Tea, set by Derek McLean, costumes by Catherine Zuber, lighting design by Justin Townsend, and sound design by Peter Helensky. Oh, and it was obviously directed and written by Baz Luhrmann. Obviously. Obviously. Following the Boston run, Moulin Rouge opened on Broadway at the Al Hirschfeld Theater with performances beginning on June 28, 2019 and an opening night on July 25, 2019. The show received mixed reviews, mostly praising the cast and set design. All right, so we are going to enter the pandemic world of 2020 now. Oh, no. Uh, I don't know about you, but my brain is still in a pre-pandemic, during-pandemic, post-pandemic fog. It's obviously a trauma response, and I'm sure the majority of you listening must have it as well. I mean, I think everyone does, to be honest. Um, We are now heading into three years since the first lockdown, and I still cannot really remember 
the lockdown era of 2020. Um, I just know that we went through it and every day felt like Groundhog Day. That's a different show, obviously. (laughs) That being said, I don't really remember any of it at the same time. I just know we have a before and after 2020. However, I do remember the Broadway lockdown, and we are going to get into that in just a second. I might be wrong in saying this. Please, friends, do correct me if I am, but I'm fairly sure Moulin Rouge was the first Broadway production to close. And I just I'm thinking that because I had a friend who was there and I remember this all happening in real time because she was updating her social media page about everything happening. So on March 12th, 2020, the Broadway production was suspended due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I think the audience was like lined up outside the Hirschfield Theater or they were already seated for the matinee. Um, And it was like being stalled and stuff. Producers of the show indicated that one of the performers had possible symptoms of the coronavirus. But as we learned in the time following, at least four performers had contracted the virus, including Aaron Tveit and Danny Burstein. Question for you. Do you remember if we had COVID testing that early on? Because I feel like it took forever for us to get those rapid tests and such? Well, we definitely didn't have rapid tests because those took a while to develop. I think the PCR testing is what we first had access to. Um, And I don't know how early. I was actually just trying to Google it so I would have a good answer for you. Mm. But um, I'm not coming up with much that's concise. Uh, But definitely we had them by like April, May. PCR tests were available. As much as COVID kind of is known as hitting the U.S. and Canada and North America at that time. Right. Like it had already been an issue in China, right? So like these things had, these tests already existed. It was just a matter of getting them where they needed to be. Right. Because I can remember like everything with the ventilators and, and sending it to hospitals that desperately need it. More ventilators. And I remember everything about the masks and the gloves, but I just can't remember the actual testing process for uh, anyone who had symptoms of COVID. I, I just imagine if you had a sniffle type of thing, you just assumed like, okay, this could be COVID, stay isolated, which I think is what everyone sort of did. I think that's what we were told to right. do. I mean, I know where. I know in Ontario, we entered a state of emergency. Nobody left their house Mm -hmm. unless it was for essential items. And if you were sick, you did not leave your house and you had somebody else deliver it for you. Because at that point, you still had to like go out to get a PCR test. Right. That makes sense to me. Because I I just, I remember it was a very long time until we had actual testing. So. Ah, 2020. 2020. We don't look upon you fondly at all. So at the time of closing in 2020, producers said that they planned to reopen on April 13th, 2020. This date would unfortunately continually shift as Broadway's closure was eventually pushed to mid-2021. Now, because of the pandemic, obviously the Tony nominations were not announced in May of 2020. Instead, the nominations were announced in October that year with Moulin Rouge earning 14 nominations and winning 10, including Best Musical and Best Leading Actor in a Musical for Aaron Tveit, who happened to be the only nomination in that category that year. Which is wild. Like, when has that ever happened? I don't like, in know. the history of the Tony Awards. Um, but so well deserved. He deserved a Tony long before Moulin Rouge, but that's a conversation for another day. That was also such a crazy thing that happened because everyone online was like, well, what happens if they decide he doesn't 
deserve one for this role. Like, what do you say? Like, and Aaron Tveit did not win the Tony. Like, it's so weird to think about. But then also there was not a lot of shows that could have been nominated that year because it closed. The season ended so quickly. The season ended so quickly. And a lot of the shows that were scheduled to open just didn't get a chance. So, yeah, crazy, isn't it? On April 14th, 2021, Karen Olivo announced that they would not return to the show once it reopened as a protest of the theater industry's silence on the allegations against producer Scott Rudin, who, although is not a producer of the show, has still won multiple Tony Awards for various productions and was a producer on the 2022 production of The Music Man. In an Instagram video, Olivo stated, social justice is more important than being the sparkling diamond. On August 2nd, 2021, it was announced that Natalie Mendoza, who appeared in the original Lerman film as the Can-Can Dancer, would replace Olivo in the role of Satine. The production officially reopened on September 24th, 2021. Moulin Rouge had its West End debut at the Piccadilly Theatre on January 20th, 2022, following previews on November 13th, 2021. The original cast included Lisi Lafontaine as Satine and Jamie Boggio as Christian. The production was nominated for five Laurence Olivier Awards in 2022, including Best New Musical. A national touring production of Moulin Rouge, which had previously been announced in 2019 following the success of the Broadway production, had been postponed during the pandemic and finally launched during March 2020 at Chicago's James M. Niederlander Theater, starring Courtney Reed as Satine and Connor Ryan as Christian. Productions of Moulin Rouge have also been set up in Australia, Germany, and South Korea, which is... Totally epic. They are everywhere right now. World domination (laughs) for Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge, world domination. I love that for them. It's such an incredible show, and I'm so happy that it is a show that is playing everywhere right now, that so many people get to experience the joy that you and I both had when we got to see the Broadway production a month and a half ago. So Yeah, like I need them to come to Toronto so like I can go broke seeing the show over and over again. It's hard because it's like I want to take so many people who I know would love it and bring them to the show, but like it's hard because the tours don't always come to Canada, but someday hopefully. Bring the tour to Canada. But Chrissy, you know, we're at that point in the episode where we talk kind of about our experiences with these shows. And, Mm -hmm. you know, before seeing the stage show last year, I was such a fan of the movie. I still am. Like, it's one of the first movie musicals I remember watching and watching over and over again, like, religiously. But I had this thing, okay? I would watch it, but I would turn it off before Satine dies. So when Christian goes back to get Satine and then they're reunited, I would turn it off before she falls down and dies dramatically so that they would have their happy ending because that was very important to me as a youngster. You know what? Not as even as a youngster. I still do it now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I was really excited when I heard that they were making a stage adaptation. But I was also one of those people who was like, why would you mess with something perfect? Like when Mm. I heard that changes were being made, I was like, no, no. So it really held me back from like exploring the show fully. But once I was ready for it, man, it hit home. I do remember, however, hearing that Aaron Tveit would be playing the role of Christian. And I was like, that's literally the best casting announcement since sliced bread. Like he's the perfect choice for Christian, vocally, acting wise. Do you remember like the era before he starred as Christian where everyone was like, what show is it going to be that gets Aaron back to Broadway? 
I do. <laughs> I was everybody asking myself would that say question like it's gonna be Moulin Rouge day. like <laughs> all the time. It was so friggin' funny and it happened. But like we all just kind of knew. We didn't have to manifest it. We just knew it was gonna happen. So what was your experience with Moulin Rouge? Did you like grow up a big mm. fan of it? Like felt me in girl. Yeah, no, I have to be honest. I was much more a Romeo and Juliet girly growing up. I like <laughs> I was in love with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, unfortunately, I have aged out. You're too old for him now. <laughs> dating him. I know. It's such a shame. It's such a shit. I'm very heartbroken. Please, you know, respect my uh side Valentine's Day tomorrow. That being said, I yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the Moulin Rouge film, but I did love the soundtrack. And I remember renting the movie from the video store when it was released. I did rewatch the movie again because I have not seen it in many, many years. But for this episode, I was like, let me put it on while I type up the script here. And honestly, I have to say that I do prefer the stage production to the film. And I didn't think I would. I I put off seeing the show for so long because I just didn't think it would be my thing. And when I heard Derek was uh, joining the Broadway cast, I booked to obviously see D Cleanse. And I ended up loving every minute of the show. Like, I turned to Joss at intermission. I was like, I have to see the show again. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really love it. And I really like what they have done with the songs. You know, I'm not into like that top 40 stuff, uh, which is basically the meat of this show. But it actually works so well. And I enjoy Every song that they put in there. Did you know there's 71 songs in the Broadway production that they've like just managed to put into pieces of mashups and such? I think that's insane. I didn't know that, but I'm so glad you counted because I was wondering that to myself. Oh, I did not count. I looked it up. (laughs) Imagine if I count it like Elephant Love Medley alone. That's what I was going to do. I was going to like I was going to go through the 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 soundtrack and count but i'm so glad you decided to just google it you've saved me some time no but elephant love medley is that is the ultimate mashup maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm not right about this i I assume this is what they've done but at the end when they are singing i will always love you and they have that little bit of you and i by lady gaga i think that's genius what's the other one that i always forget about until i hear it Oh, it's in the opening, I think. And then out of nowhere, just in the back, you hear, you spin me right round, baby, right round. It's just like two lines of it. I don't even know if I ever clocked that. Um, (laughs) I have to go and read through every line, every lyric in this show, because there's so much that I'm just like, I've not picked up on yet. I've grown more cynical over the years (laughs) than my experiences of love and heartache. But these stories... Of people falling in love seemingly overnight and going through a dramatic fatal romance makes me shake my head in annoyance. Like, listen, younger me would have and did eat that stuff up for breakfast, lunch and dinner. But now I see a fictional romance on stage that has like a timeline of falling in love within a few hours and I just don't believe it. Um, I'm still going to cry at the end, though, obviously, but like I, I just... I don't know. I find that the Christian and Satine romance in the show didn't do it for me and I wanted it to. Um, I don't know. Could be like acting duos and maybe I'll feel something different when we eventually go see it again and see like two other people in the role. I don't know. But I just did not 
but I don't even think it was the actors like they were phenomenal I think it was the writing and the pacing there's a lot happening in the show I mean that's what happens I think with any like Romeo and Juliet kind of star-crossed lovers inspired um romance like it's always gonna feel rushed and forced and you know a little awkward there's there's only so much theater magic can do to kind of hide the fact that, oh my God, these people literally met two hours ago and now they're singing love songs on top of an elephant to each other. Sure. Um, yes. You know, <laughs> there's, there's a line somewhere. But what I quite adore is that that's kind of what's so wonderful about, again, theater and being able to like leave the real world at the door and enter a world where... You can see someone across a crowded room and everything goes into slow motion and you fall in love with them in an instant. That's West Side Story, not Moulin Rouge, but you get what I'm talking about. But speaking of the romance of this, you know, my little Canadian heart needs to bring this up and Chrissy did tell me to keep it brief so I won't bore y'all. But if you remember the 2018 Winter Olympics for figure skating, Tessa and Scott who are Canada's sweethearts of figure skating, did a beautiful duet to um, a Moulin Rouge medley. And they had Roxanne into Come What May. And oh my goodness, that was the most beautiful romantic thing I have ever seen. They just, they have such chemistry and such passion and beauty. And if you like Moulin Rouge and if you like theater, you'd probably enjoy watching their skate because it truly is a musical theater performance that they're giving. Gorge. You're right. Well, we want to wish all of you listening a very happy Valentine's Day. Um, yeah, I was going to say be safe out there, but really. <laughs> well, be I mean, safe. be safe. Um, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Auntie Jocelyn. That's actually so funny. I didn't even mean it to like come out that way, but saying it, like as the words left me, I was like, oh, you know what? That's actually a good precaution as well. So be safe in all aspects and don't don't eat too much chocolate. Don't eat too and, much chocolate. Um, you will get sick. Um, speaking from experience, when I felt totally sick about an hour ago after I ate a cad, no, a caramel bar, which if you're in America, you probably don't know what that is. It's like a caramel chocolate and it's so good. Do they not have those in America? No, they don't have um who makes caramel? Well, they don't have caramel. Uh it's a Canadian company. No way. Yeah. I'm shook. Well, as always, I'm Chris. I'm Joss. Together we are breaking, breaking the, the curtain. curtain. And thank you for joining us for a lovely hundredth episode. That was cute. We'll see you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye.